Hello and welcome to Superfancast. My name is Chris and this is Season 1, Episode 10, Jeff Buckley. I'm alone again for this episode, but I do have a quick word from Matt. Hi folks, hope everyone is okay and taking care of themselves. I'm in the middle of the Atlantic and it's very hot and the ocean is really big. It just doesn't stop. I'm sure it will eventually. <laughs> I hope it does. I'm going to just fall off the edge of the world. For the record, I got a 5 out of 5 for the Dinosaur Junior quiz and I'll also be getting 5 out of 5 for Jeff Buckley. So just trust me on that one. Okay, and just to adjust the record there, he more than likely did not get 5 out of 10 for Dinosaur Junior. And uh, we'll just have to see about Jeff Buckley. I do the scoring around here, Matt. Anyway, I feel it was only a matter of time for this guy, for Jeff. Uh, we had a, a list before we started season one, a list of artists that we wanted to cover, but things changed because we had requests come in or we found passionate superfans for other bands. And so uh, I'm not enti- I'm not sure how many of the bands from that initial list we covered, but Jeff Buckley was on that list. So really happy to be capping off the season with him. So has anyone else noticed how music news these days seems to be the Adele news? Uh, Before going into the catch-up, I just want to get something off my chest because I've been having a lot of ranting here at home the last couple of weeks and uh, the wife's been telling me that, you know, there's a lot of people out there listening to the podcast who probably care a bit more about music than the years in my household. So I thought I'd have a little bit of a rant about Adele first. it's, It's going to piss some people off, but the world needs to know that Adele gives me the shits. So a few points in. First, point number one, she's okay, right? She is not the greatest in the world. Maybe she will be one day. I doubt it. But, you know, at the moment she's had four studio albums. That's, you know, I don't think for someone at the point in the career where she is, I don't think we can be, you know, putting her quite as high a pedestal as we're putting her on. And let's just analyse those those four studio albums first. I mean, the first record she released, and only the first record, had, had a notable number of tracks written and performed by her. Pretty much everything after that album was co-written by her. And co-writing is a difficult thing to judge from the outside. You know, maybe she does 90% of the work and the other name does 10%. Not, not entirely sure, but I always feel that you've got someone like... I don't know, someone like Max Martin, who is an accomplished songwriter, you bring them in, and uh, I'm, I'm supposed to believe that somebody like Adele does the vast majority of it, and, and, and Max just sits sits on the couch uh, and occasionally chips in. No, I feel that the, you know, the, the big name, the big songwriting name is the one that's doing the, doing the legwork, and the artist might be might be tweaking it to, to their style or tweaking it to something that works for them. I'm not entirely sure, but but either way, nothing beyond that that first studio album, pretty much, you know, the occasional song here and there, but pretty much uh, has been entirely written by her. So, you know, what can we credit her for? We can credit her for her voice. That is 100% her because she's singing live and, and she sounds as good live as she does on the record. That's great. But her voice bores me. I'm, I'm sorry, it just doesn't do it for me that much. It's you know she she has got a fantastic voice, and she she knows how to to use it and she knows how to project it live. But it doesn't excite me. I find there's there's plenty of singers out there who can't sing half as good as Adele, not even you know a tenth as good as Adele. But it's the emotion and the you know the pain or the heartache or the joy or the love that's that's in the voice that that does it for you. 
not necessarily hitting every, you don't need to hit every note. There's so many examples, I can think of so many examples of that, of singers that rarely hit the right note, but you still want to hear their voice and hear the way they deliver those lyrics. Anyway, that's a, so my, my first point was she's, she's okay. She's not as great as people are making out. Number two, she's very aware of her current image and the fact that everyone thinks that she's a musical saviour. And it doesn't help that every media outlet keeps reminding her of that. I like at least a little bit of modesty in an artist. I'm also really grossed out by the way that the media and the public are really kissing her feet constantly, particularly at the moment. This evening with, I can't remember what it was called, an evening with Adele. I I don't know if you guys saw it. It was called something like that. There was an evening with Adele on a couple of weeks ago and it was just super cringy, you know, it was was really cringy and vulgar with her lapping up every word of praise and nodding in agreement. Everyone going, "You're, you're fantastic. And she's nodding, oh yes, I know, I know. It's just it was vile. It was really vile, and I don't I don't get why we're doing that. I don't understand why we're doing it. It, it would be different if we were doing that for I don't know an artist that had been been throwing out music for the last thirty forty years, countless studio records and and collaborations and and a, a, a serious impact on the music industry. But we're doing it for a for a girl who has has not been in the music industry that long, a little little over a decade. Uh, four records and a fairly big gap between the last uh, you know the last two so I, I don't know it I, I find this all really unjustified and, and quite yeah yeah quite vulgar and then the third the third point is very specific now a very specific point that wound me up no end and I shared this on Twitter, so some of you, some of you might have seen this already. There was an interview recently. Can't remember who it was that gave the interview, but it really pissed me off. It was shared everywhere, and it was Adele talking about her friendship with Drake, and she explains that the reason they're so close is because he understands her because they're from the same era of music. Uh, she says that there's not many of them left in that in that world. In fact, she even puts a number on it. She says there were probably only 10 of us. <laughs> I don't know where she got that number from. Um, from an era where, you know, before streaming, before all the social media. Well, I don't don't, don't even know where to begin on, on that point that she's making there. The fact that she thinks that her and Drake are in an elite class of musicians because they were around before streaming. I mean, there's not, it's not just that there's countless like literally countless other musicians out there that were around before streaming but the charts are full of countless other musicians that were around before streaming just looking at the at the top 40 at the moment you could just pick off you could pick off so many well you guys were around before Adele you were around before Adele you were she's not even been around that long she's not the bloody rolling stones is she you know who who are still performing but we, we've got, I mean, looking at the Grammys this, this year, look who was nominated in the Grammys. Look at the amount of artists nominated in the Grammys that, that were around before Adele. Not, not just around before Adele. We've got bands that were releasing music when Adele was not even born yet. And uh, just winds me up. Absolutely winds me up. So anyway, that's that. Feels good to get it off my chest. And I'm sure I've pissed lots of people off because I know she's flavor of the month at the moment. But I think we need a new flavor of the month. And I think the the praise that's, that's heading in that direction is just a little unjustified. I think it needs to be a bit more balanced and we need to be a bit more realistic because it doesn't 
feel very realistic. There we go. Great. Thank you. So what have I been listening to? I don't know. I've been rediscovering Jeff Buckley a lot. This episode has, has been really great for me because well, we'll talk about in a bit where, you know, my history with Jeff Buckley, but I was a fan and I haven't really listened to him that much in the last few years. So I've really enjoyed listening to some Jeff Buckley. Other than that, uh, for driving, I've been enjoying Cult, which I think is how he wants us to pronounce it. Check out my review on uh, superfancast.blogspot.com for last Friday's new music review. I reviewed Your Light by Cult. The artist spells their name C-X-L-T dot. I think it's meant to be pronounced cult, but we just don't know, do we? I've also been listening to a bit of Band of Horses. I really like Band of Horses. And again, I haven't listened to them in, in several years. So if you like a bit of country rock, kind of like that. Well, I always call it Pilgrim Country like that. But that's not a genre. And I've I've just made that name up. But I know what I mean when I hear Pilgrim Country. It's the kind of country that I feel would not be out of place if I was an early settler of, of the of the Americas and they were a local band that were playing during a barn raising or something. Fleet Foxes, Band of Horses, yeah, those kinds of guys. So yeah, really like Band of Horses. Other than that, nothing nothing major really. Yeah, there's nothing real serious I've been listening to. I don't have any crazy recommendations for Matt. Oh, that's a complete lie. I do, just, just thought of one. I was listening to this band called I think they're a Welsh band I think the the band's name is Hen Ogled I believe it's H-E-N-N Ogled is O-G-L-E-D and I can't remember the name of their album but a song came on the other day that uh, had me literally laughing out loud whilst I was listening to it and I don't know if that's the intention I'm sure that's the intention I'm sure it is listen to a song everyone make a note now and listen to a song called Tip Trip by Hen Ogled, and you'll have a good chuckle. NME just did their 50 best songs of 2021. Uh, so, Well, so sucks to be you if you release a killer tune in the next two weeks, doesn't it? What an odd time to do your best songs of 2021. Because I guess they're then going to do their 50 best songs of 2022 around this time in 2022. So yeah, if you release a song in the last three weeks of the year, you're never going to be on, on, on an NME best songs list. You could release the most groundbreaking record. You could release Stairway to Heaven, 21st of December, and it's not going to be on Enemy's best songs. Anyway, I had a quick look at it, and um, it made me realise that I'm super out of touch. I don't know what's going on in the world. I knew a lot of the... I know all the artists on the list, but a lot of the songs I don't, a lot of the individual tracks... I need to, uh, do I need to? I was going to say I need to start listening to more mainstream music, but I don't know if I need to. I suppose I should, if I'm a voice of music commentary. I guess I need to <laughs> I need to know what's going on on the planet, don't I? I'm going to make a point to listen to at least the, uh, the top 10 on that list. I can't remember who is in the top 10, but I'll make a point of it. I, I, I read the list backwards, and the, fifth, the 50th track was uh, a Youngblood tune, and... I was didn't realise I was reading it backwards. I thought the top of the list would be number one, not number 50. So I saw Youngblood and I thought, well, I don't really... I can't remember the name of the song, to be honest, that was that was at number 50. And I thought, oh, I don't really relate to, to Youngblood and I don't oh, I find him a little bit annoying, but, but, big but, I do respect him and I do think he's good for the for the music industry. And I think that... I think he's, the, he's a talented young chap and I think he's, uh, you know, he's got a a lot of positive messages 
and I think we need him. So I think that uh, I was really happy to to see Youngblood at, at number one, and then I realised he was at number fifty. So yeah, sorry, Youngblood. <laughs> well done on the on the false achievement. Jeffrey Scott Buckley was born in November 1966 in Anaheim, California. He was raised by his mother and stepfather, both of whom introduced him to music at an early age. He picked up his first guitar at the age of five and received his first electric at the age of 12. From his late teens to mid-twenties, he moved between countless bands of different genres, playing guitar and occasionally backing vocals. After finding his voice, he began to play coffee shops around New York and eventually... In October 1992, he signed a three-album deal with Columbia Records. August 1994, he released his debut album Grace to much critical acclaim, and he then spent an extended period touring the album throughout the US and overseas. Around mid-1996, he began to work on a follow-up album and moved to Memphis to write. In May 97, before completing the second album, he died by drowning in the Mississippi River on the day his band were flying down to begin recording. Since his death, there have been numerous further releases, and Grace has gone on to make platinum in several countries. Jeff Buckley is considered to be one of the most promising musicians of his day, and is posthumously regarded as a musical genius, with Grace regularly noted as one of the greatest debuts of all time. Wow, what an introduction. And that's probably the longest introduction or you know, band bio I've done for a musician. But I feel it's it, it's difficult for a for a musician that only released one record oh i suppose you know he released a, that, that ep live at chenet but you know one one studio album he released before his death it's very easy to to end up doing a very short band bio for him so i've, I've kind of done a quick summary of his life instead but but there we go yeah I, and i hope i you know i i did with the dinosaur junior episode i think i was maybe too kind to, to dinosaur junior and jay maskis in the in the band bio some people might have thought so i hope i've not fallen into the same trap with jeff buckley by calling him a musical genius but uh, but it's kind of hard to find the right words but all i mean is that since his death you know the love for him has continued to grow exponentially and it, it feels like you know, every second after his death, people people have started to discover him and and gone. God, I'm just just too late. You know, how many how many people have found Jeff Buckley and and been, been heartbroken that they're that they're too late and there's no more Jeff Buckley. My history with Jeff is I discovered Jeff Buckley in around 2000. And I think it must have been 2008, maybe. I was at a friend's house. His name was Andrew. Can't remember Andrew's last name. I was living in New Zealand at the time, and uh, I was at my friend Andrew's house. Andrew Miller, that's right, there we go. I was at Andrew Miller's house, and we would occasionally on a Friday night, uh, our girlfriends would both be working, and we would order in a, a big pizza. There was, a, there was a pizza company in Christchurch called Big Pizza. Said so we'd order in this big, sickly, really sickly, massive pizza, super greasy, and some wedges, and a and some beers, and we'd chuck on some some music. Uh, DVDs, we're talking some music DVDs, and we'd um, you know just listen to some tunes and eat some pizza. And um, one Friday night, I, I yeah I remember we'd been watching some Morrissey, and I can't stand Morrissey. And uh, Andrew Andrew put that on, and I was not feeling it, and so he changed it and he put Jeff Buckley on. 
And I said, who's this guy? This is, this, this is amazing. And he was blown away that I'd never heard of Jeff Buckley. And then we, we ended up talking for a long time about Jeff with, with him playing in the background. And I was really like, it was definitely one of those situations where it was, uh, it was love at first sight. I, from the very first listening, very first listen, I, I thought this guy is amazing. It was not a slow burn for me at all. I shortly after went out and bought a copy of Grace. And I'm going to talk a bit about that in this episode because there's a lot of different versions of Grace. You know, since his death, it's been it's been repressed so many times in different versions. And the, the copy that I had, it was a single CD, but it also came with a second, uh, it came with a DVD uh, of a live performance, you know, a short documentary and a live performance. But the the, the CD, the track listing was different to the original track listing. It had a few a few extra tracks on there. Je ne connais pas la fin. It also had uh, the the Smiths cover that he did. I can't remember what that was. Um, it had Forget Her and Kangaroo, all tracks that were not originally on Grace. But that was that was the version of Grace that I learned because that's the one that I that I bought, and so I thought that's uh, that was the original release. But I loved it. Um, absolutely loved it. And over the years, I've, I've, oh, I've listened to it so much. And even even periods when I've not been listening to it, I can still quite happily sit in a conversation and convince other people that, that Jeff Buckley is one of the greatest musicians of, of his time and of all time. So so that's my, my background with, with Jeff. What's uh, Matt's background with Jeff? I don't have very much history with Jeff Buckley. Uh, when I was about 14 or 15, he was really popular at school all of a sudden. Everyone was listening to grace and it just exploded suddenly in our class everyone loved jeff buckley and there was an urban legend being shared that he recorded it and then suddenly killed himself which is which isn't very accurate um, but this was before googling and so we were all very intrigued by that and he was he's incredibly talented and a lot of testimonies from people who knew him say he was very kind very funny um, but also very shy and modest and a beautiful soul. Uh, he's a big loss for music. Uh, so good luck to Joe. I hope he does as well as I do. Yeah, so that's weird, isn't it? The, the before the internet thing. So obviously he didn't kill himself, but it's funny that in the pre-Googling times, you hear something in the playground and that just become, that becomes your fact, doesn't it? Someone says it and, and it becomes your fact. And, and you, you repeat it and you believe it and it's a, it was a weird time in fact I remember when I was a kid and Slipknot had released they released their first record and me and a bunch of friends had listened to that and we thought that was amazing and there was a guy at school who um, there was a guy at school who said he had this this really this rare EP that they'd released well, I don't know if he if he even said he had it, but he said there was this really rare EP from before Slipknot, the self-titled album, uh, and it was called Maggot Core. I believed that for years, for years and years, and then recently I was chatting to someone who was this this mega Slipknot fan, and he said, uh, you know, what's your history with them? And I said about that. I said, oh, but I had this friend who was who was desperate for, to to hear Maggot Core or whatever, and. and and he said, there's no such thing as Megacore. And we Googled it and couldn't find it. It didn't exist. But I guess he'd heard that from someone. And and so he, it was fact. So, yeah, it was a weird time, wasn't it? But yeah, it sounds like Matt's Matt's experience of Jeff was not quite the same as mine in that I don't I don't think he, he was completely blown away by, by Jeff Buckley. Um, but there we go.
I've formulated five questions to help us discover a little bit more about Jeff Buckley. We're then going to be asking those five questions to self-proclaimed superfan Joe from Stoke-on-Trent to find out if he is a fan or a fraud. He'll need to get five questions right to be considered a superfan. Any less than that, he's one step closer to being a fraud. We've never had a fraud on the show. Don't let episode 10 be the episode that we find a fraudster. So we're going to look into those those five questions and, and learn a little bit more about Jeff. So question one, by what name was Jeff known as a child? Now, I didn't know this until I looked into it. I guess I wasn't I wasn't of that Google era of Jeff Buckley fan, I guess. And so I was just listening to the music and yeah, I, I hadn't seen a lot of interviews with him or read a lot of interviews with him. He was known as uh, Scott or Scotty Moorhead when he was a boy until he was about nine years old, I think. And then he started going by by Jeff Buckley. So his his real name is Jeffrey Scott Buckley, I believe. Uh, let me check that. Is it Buckley or Moorhead? Yeah, Jeffrey Scott Buckley. Scott is his middle name and Moorhead was his stepfather's name. So he was known as Scott Moorhead. Uh, he also has a stepbrother, Corey Moorhead. So he he is the son of, not of, of Ron Moorhead, but of Tim Buckley. So Tim Buckley was a a fairly mammoth folk rock singer who passed away when, when Jeff was very young. Now he, Jeff didn't have a relationship with Tim, really. Tim left Jeff's mother when she was pregnant with Jeff. He ran away to pursue his music and he never returned. Yeah, he really did do that, actually. Uh, I can't kind of... There's no point beating around the bush there. He left as soon as he found out she was pregnant. He ran away to New York. He did come back for a short period. From what I can gather, I think he came back really just for a meeting with his, uh, with Jeff's uh, mother, Mary, to kind of discuss the child, I, I think. And that time he had basically said, and it, yeah, from what I can understand from interviews with Mary, he'd said to her, get an abortion. Uh, I, th- I think he'd initially said to her, get an abortion. And then on when he came back, to, to visit her he flew back from New York to visit her to, to finally close things off she said what do you want me to do with uh, with the pregnancy and he said do what you want so I mean he really didn't sound like the the nicest guy from from my perspective certainly from that period of his life yeah he ran away to, to New York to pursue his uh, his music career he said that uh, it was a very difficult decision but he it was his calling and you know, music was his calling and he didn't want to turn his back on that he did remarry, though, and he had another son. Uh, oh, I, I might be wrong on that. I think maybe his second son was adopted. Um, but yeah, when, when Tim Buckley eventually died, very young, I think he was 28 when he when he died of a, of a heroin overdose, Jeff and Jeff's mother were not even invited to the funeral. So he really was, you know, Jeff really was the, the dirty secret. Jeff spent all of his public life being questioned about his father, and and he he really hated it. He hated that it came across as an anger towards his father. I believe, which he at one point he did set a, a reporter straight, and he stopped he stops the interview. You can see this on YouTube. This interview, I can't remember who it's for, so I can't credit it right here. He stopped the interview and said he feels he needs to say that he does not hate his father. He often reads the edited interviews on paper, and he can see that it comes across that way. But he respects the man as a musician. He just doesn't see him as a father. Uh, you know, Ron Moorhead was his father. Jeff Jeff's anger was with the press for constantly comparing him with his father. And there's no denying it must have been incredibly difficult. You know, Tim Buckley had such a big name and 
for Jeff to then enter the same industry with the same last name. And, you know, there's questions around that. You know, why, why did he, why did he start using the Buckley name when he could have, he could have become famous as, as Jeff Moorhead or, or Scott Moorhead? He made a conscious decision and, and we'll come to when he made that decision as well. But he made a conscious decision to become a Buckley uh, before starting his music career. So Mary Guibert, who I, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, and I'm, I'm sorry to any any mega fans out there who who can correct me. Mary Guibert was Jeff's mother. She was infatuated by Tim Buckley, a man that, as far as I can tell, treated her like shit and abandoned her when she was pregnant with his child. She says, by no stretch of the imagination was this a marriage made in heaven. She says he hadn't been faithful to me for a long time, and I thought that was perfectly acceptable because after all he was so wonderful and I was so nobody I mean it is so sad that anyone feels that way especially to have made those comments after he's put her through what he put her through anyway so that that's that's the uh the beginnings she decided that she was going to have the baby thank goodness so she went ahead and had Jeff who then funnily enough was named after her high school boyfriend before Tim (laughs) Mary said it was, uh, quote, my last pure boy-girl relationship, my last pure moment. So Jeff did meet his father on one occasion. And it was only a couple of months before Tim Buckley died as well. Jeff was about eight and his mum had seen an ad for Tim Buckley, a, a Tim Buckley show in the in the local paper. So she got tickets for her and Jeff. They went to the show. They both loved the show. They sat front row and the young Jeff was desperate to go backstage and meet him so they went backstage and Jeff slash Scotty got some personal time with uh, with Tim a member of Tim's band and I forget who I didn't I didn't write down the name but a member of Tim's band said they were both gushing you know telling each other everything and it was a really special moment for both of them you could tell it was a special moment for them both I believe it was then Tim's new partner don't know if it was girlfriend or wife but his new partner who then asked Mary if maybe Jeff wanted to stay with them for a few days so Mary said yes Tim went and uh, or sorry Jeff went and stayed with his father Tim Buckley and his father's new partner for a week at their place near the coast and the week with Tim Buckley and his new family sadly was not as expected in later life in an interview or two in fact more than one interview Jeff has said that Tim did not seem very interested in him once they once they spent that week together. He spent most of the time shut away in his room working and he didn't really see much of, of Tim. So it was kind of it was a, a bitter a bitter encounter, I think. And sadly the only encounter, the only time they, they ever saw each other. And just a couple of months later, Tim died and Jeff was not even then invited to the funeral. He was forgotten again. So there's a question mark over when did Jeff start using the name Jeff Buckley. We know it was after he met Tim on that occasion, but I don't know how soon after. I've seen in a few different documentaries and a few different interviews varying perspectives, but uh, it was certainly after he, he met his father. So that's kind of what I was alluding to before. He didn't like being compared to his father, but he made a very conscious decision after meeting his father that he wanted to be a Buckley again, and he wanted to be known as Jeff Buckley. So I, I feel that, in a way, he was attracting that. He, he could have he could have 
come out as, as Scott Moorhead and no one would have known there was anything to, to do with, with Tim Buckley. There's really, in a, in a lot of interviews, and not just interviews, but you know write-ups about Jeff Buckley and discussion about Jeff Buckley, there is so much talk about the relationship between him and his father. And I think it's impossible to ignore, impossible to avoid that, that conversation, really. I believe that Tim had a far greater impact on Jeff than, than Jeff ever admitted publicly. And I think that's in, that's only natural. It's it would be impossible for that not to be the case for a you know an abandoned boy to not feel some kind of whatever it is. It's got to be an emotion of sorts towards his his natural father. And the fact that his father was an accomplished and very well respected musician, which is what Jeff wanted to be, wanted to be respected as a musician. There's just no way. There's no way that uh, Tim didn't have a, a bigger impact on him. But there we go. I haven't listened to to much of Tim Buckley's music, so I don't can't give much of an opinion on that. But what I can say is that uh, it is striking the similarities between them. <laughs> to look at, they very similar looking, very similar. There's photographs of them when you put them side by side. They're almost the same person. They could be twins, and also their voices. There are definitely notes that and I, and I know obviously Jeff came later so I shouldn't say Tim sounds like Jeff I should you know say Jeff sounds like Tim but I obviously know Jeff's music far better and I was introduced to Jeff's music first and there are certain notes that Tim hits that I think wow that could that could be Jeff not all the time and and styles of music are very different but uh you know there's the occasional note that that really throws you off so yeah that's the that's the early years so question two, who originally sung Ye Johalka Saduhai? And a second apology for the episode to, to anyone who is offended by my pronunciation of that song. Ye Johalka Saduhai. Either way, it's a Nusrat Fateh Ali Khan song. So Nusrat Fateh Ali Khan was a Pakistani Kowali singer. He, funnily enough, passed away the same year as Jeff Buckley. But in his time, and maybe still today... I think he was one of the most famous and respected Kowali singers ever. Jeff Buckley was absolutely obsessed with Nusrat Fateh Ali Khan. A flatmate of Jeff's in New York had introduced him to the music and from the from the get-go, from the first moment he heard it, it had completely consumed him. He said of Nusrat's voice, quote, part Buddha, part demon, part mad angel. His voice is velvet fire, simply incomparable poetic from Jeff there and he really did his research on Nusrat he ate up everything Nusrat ever produced he even studied the idea of Kowali and and what it means religiously he developed a really good understanding of this and he even branched out uh, and looked at Sufi music and and apparently he owned several hundred uh, records from Sufi singers so Jeff's first and most famous performance of Yejo Halka Saluhai was early in his career at a Shanae performance. So lots of us will have heard this because it was included in the legacy edition of Live at Shanae. So Live at Shanae was uh, Jeff's first release. It was a four-track EP. It came out November 1993, and it was recorded live at the Shanae Coffee House in New York. The Shanae Coffee House was a location Jeff loved to play, he had said he liked the technical setup, but also the atmosphere and the crowds he pulled there. 
It was a really relaxed environment and a place where Jeff could experiment and find himself. It was, you know, I think one, I think one point about it that, that either he said or somebody else I, I, I saw who was talking about Sinead had, had said was it was free entry, so no, no one paid to get in, which did add a, a, a dynamic in that you could you could afford to experiment a bit more and you could afford to play with the audience a little bit more because no one's expecting anything from you. And he he really enjoyed he really enjoyed that dynamic. He was uh, very flexible and, and pretty jovial and, and goofy in those performances uh, at Chennai. And there's lots of there's lots of video of that if you if you check out on YouTube. There's a, there's a lot of live recordings of him at Chennai. So yeah, I, I I really love hearing those those performances. The uh, legacy edition of Live at Chennai, which is where you'll find this this track that I'm talking about, this cover of uh, Nusrat Fateh Ali Khan. Tune. The legacy edition of Live at Chennai is much longer. It's a much much longer record. I couldn't tell you how many tracks it is. I don't have it to hand. But yeah, basically, it's it is what it says on the tin. It's a collection of a bunch of tracks performed at the Chennai Coffee House, recorded live at the Chennai Coffee House. the The difference between the original four track EP and the legacy edition, other than the the length of the record and the number of tracks included is it's it's presented as a very intimate recording with all the in-between uh, monologues as they're called on the on the record included so you've got tracks in between each song where it, it's you know, a monologue which is basically just him communicating with the audience lining up the next tune and this Nusrat cover is fascinating because the the monologue that uh, comes before it is basically an individual from the audience calling uh he says something about nusrat and jeff says oh you mean nusrat fatih ali khan basically he then says i i'll try to play one of his tunes i'll try to play one of his songs so he he starts to play and then he starts to sing and he's singing in i i don't know what language it is is it punjab or someone someone correct me someone write into the show and correct me he's singing in whichever native language it is and the audience initially in that recording they laugh but i think it's more of a i think it's more of a, a misunderstanding i think the audience laugh because they think he's taking the piss and he's being a little bit racist but then as the song continues and they realize oh he's actually singing the words he's, he he knows the words and he's trying his damnedest to pronounce it correctly uh, you know, I have read some stuff online where people have joked about his pronunciation, um, but I think that you know he's he's making a pretty strong effort. You can tell that he's he's putting a bit of effort into the pronunciation. And regardless, you know, he goes he goes through a what like a six minute tune, singing all the words. The guitar sounds fantastic. He he really manages to make the guitar sound very eastern. Um, I think in the way that he's hammering and, and bending the strings, but he just does a fantastic job. He gets the audience singing along, clapping along. And it's just, it's so, it, it's very impressive. It's really very impressive. On the Legacy Edition, I love that chatter in between each of the songs. It gives you so much of his character, and it gives so much context to, you know, the, the tracks that he's choosing to play. Because, let's be honest, Jeff Buckley covers a lot of music. He's he's written some beautiful songs. But he covers a lot, and he gives a little. You get a little bit of background, a little bit of an understanding as to why he's doing something, or or even 
not necessarily why he's doing it, but you get a feel for his love for that song, or it's it's great to get to get some personality. I, I really like it. Other adventures in language. The most obvious one is uh, uh, Je ne connais pas la fin, which I, I think I previously mentioned was the uh, penultimate track on the version of Grace that I owned back in the day. It's not on the original version of Grace, but it is on, I think it's on the Legacy Edition of Live at Chenet, a live version. It was originally was originally sung by Odette in 1954, and it just, you know, did the, the inclusion of this song in Jeff's live set just goes to show also his breadth of knowledge of music and the... Yeah, the, the variety of genres and musicians that he's listening to, it's not very obvious. And on that, that version of Grace that I had, again, it was followed by a Smiths cover. And so contrasted, it's, it's, it's brilliant. It's, it's really well thought out. And, and, I, and I love, his, I love this, this expression of his interest in music. Okay, if you got those first two correct, you're doing well. Question three. What's the name of Gary Lucas's psychedelic rock band that Jeff played in for a short period? And that band is called Gods and Monsters. Shockingly, I'd not heard of Gods and Monsters. Yeah, I wish I'd I wish I'd heard of Gods and Monsters because I feel a little bit un uncultured by not knowing them. Jeff first met Gary Lucas whilst preparing for a Tim Buckley tribute at St Anne's Church. I can't remember what year this was. Uh, probably. Oh, I'm to guess off the top of my head we're talking maybe like 1990 something like that potentially so there was a uh, a Tim Buckley memorial at St Anne's Church where a bunch of musicians got together and sung Tim Buckley songs uh, in memory of, of Tim and Jeff got involved in that somehow I'm not sure how he got invited to it someone invited him along and Jeff was going to sing a song no one had heard of Jeff Buckley at this point no, in fact most people most people even who knew Tim Buckley didn't even know Jeff existed. So Gary was was introduced to him and helped him work on a song of Tim's to play at the tribute. And Gary was blown away by Jeff's voice. And, you know, that thing that, that everyone who knew Tim says, that the similarities. They, they looked at him and they saw Tim Buckley and then they he opened his mouth and they heard Tim Buckley and that, yeah, he was taken by that. Now, after this tribute show, which went amazingly well, you know, people saw... Jeff Buckley perform. They saw his name on the bill and thought, "Who's this? Who's this Buckley? Who's going to perform now?" And then this guy that looks like the man they're all trying to remember walks on stage and opens his mouth, and it sounds like the man they're all trying to remember. And so he really made a, a big impact there. Now, after that, Gary Lucas released a solo album, but for one reason or another, uh, you know, Gary Lucas says that 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 record was doing really well. He was getting amazing reviews. But he very quickly then got dropped by the label and he needed a new project. So he he called Jeff and said, hey, do you want to come and sing for my band? And Jeff said, okay. So initially, Gary was very excited by the fact that that Jeff was going to come and sing for them because he he liked Jeff's voice very much. He liked Jeff very much. Gary started working on some, some instrumentals. One called Rise Up To Be was the name he'd given it. He sent that down to Jeff in LA and then a few weeks or months I'm not 100% sure later Jeff flew up to New York to play with Gary and Jeff had written some lyrics to this tune this this rise up to be uh, he changed it 
ever so slightly, but not much. But the lyrics that he'd written uh, turned that song into what would then become Grace, the title track for his, his debut album. Now, I wasn't aware until, until again, doing this research in the last couple of weeks that Grace and also Mojo Pin were pretty much written by uh, by Gary Lucas, uh, with the exception of the lyrics. Now, obviously, we only have Gary's side of the story. We don't have Jeff's side of the story, so maybe it's not 100% correct. But Gary says that he really enjoyed working with Jeff because of that, that fact that Jeff didn't feel the need to change the music up too much. He took what Gary gave to him and he worked with it to, to make his his melody and lyrics fit over that rather than come back to Gary and say, hey, can you change this bit and can we remove this bit and can we add this bit? And Gary really enjoyed that that process. So he he speaks very fondly of the, the time of developing Grace and you know what would become Grace and Mojo Pin uh, and just the time of Jeff rehearsing with and playing with gods and monsters it was a it was a pretty short period i can't i can't tell you how short it was but you know very very early on much much sooner than gary would have ever wanted jeff said i quit <laughs> and gary was heartbroken poor bloke he'd had a, he'd had a run of bad luck really with with bands but thank god he did because then he he focused on his on his solo career focused on his own writing jeff this is you know i'm glad that jeff then focused on his solo career and his own writing and you know he gave us what what he gave us in the end it is interesting though that that uh, that approach to to grace and to mojo pin because there are other tracks as well that in in time i've discovered other people have contributed quite a bit to the to the songwriting process I always thought, as a uneducated listener, uh, but I was listening a lot to his music, that, that Jeff wrote all his music inside out and back, back to front. And actually, a lot of other musicians contributed uh, a great deal. There are most certainly songs out there that that he did write, but he was not afraid to. You know, he covered he covered a lot of, of tracks, and even the tracks that were originals, he often had a lot of input from other people. Now, the the songs that would then go on his second studio album if he were alive to to release it that may have been different and we'll come to that with the next question because the the process in compiling that music and writing that music was a slightly different process and it was a little more of a solo effort uh, in the in the, the months that he spent alone writing and preparing for that record uh, but for grace i think that there was a lot of input from others but it's not a criticism and i, and I think that the the lyrics Again, we'll get to the lyrics in a bit. The lyrics are fantastic. He really has a way with words. And it's amazing to, to think, if you just listen to a song like Grace, which is a real epic, it really is. A mojo pin as well is an epic. And the way that the song flows and that the changes in uh, in aspect, it all works so perfectly with the lyrics. And, and the music sounds like a real cushion for the voice. But to, to know that it wasn't created in that way to know that the yeah, the instrumental music was down first and then they layered the the voice on top essentially yeah that's not that's not what actually happened but yeah it's it's very interesting if you've if you've had a good listen to gods and monsters anyone please recommend your your favorite tracks or what what record I should be listening to i think they've had a pretty extensive career gary lucas is is hilarious he's got a permanent smile on his face i i don't know if he's on some some strong pharmaceuticals but i've I've watched quite a few interviews with him and I have not yet seen an interview with him where he's not smiling. 
he's constantly, no matter what the subject matter is, he's got a massive grin on his face. It's hilarious. Good on you, Gary. So question four, what was the working title for Jeff's second studio album? It's easy to go wrong on this question. The working title, and we know this because Jeff has said this vocally in uh, in interviews, is My Sweetheart the Drunk. That's the name he was going to give the, the second studio album. So Jeff had been trying to write in New York and he was struggling a bit. He, it wasn't The music wasn't flowing as he wanted it to. I think that there was some there was some stresses and some frustrations between him and the label not getting the music that they felt they deserved and him not writing tunes that he was 100% proud of or at least recording tunes in in a way that he was 100% proud of after a lot of back and forth and I've not gone into it I I've already summarized it to an offensively small number of sentences there he moved down to Memphis he felt he needed a break from New York and there was just too much distraction and too much noise in New York to really focus on his music. So he moved down to Memphis and I believe that when he got there, he was he was in a pretty distressed state. There's an interview with his landlady from Memphis that you can see in the uh, Everybody Here Wants You documentary from Channel 4. And I think that's on, I don't think, I know that's on YouTube. So check that out. There's an interview with his landlady and she says that when he turned up he was very quiet and subdued and he had very little furniture. He just had a, a, a small table with a phone in the phone book and then he would sit with his sit with his guitar and, and write. And he was there for a while and he was a bit stressed but he, but he was starting to get better and yeah, things were improving for him. He was playing a few gigs locally in Memphis and it got to the point where the band from New York were flying down to meet him and start rehearsing his new material that he'd been writing in Memphis. It was the day that they were flying down that Jeff, on that morning, went to down to the river. He was out with uh, one of their roadies, whose name escapes me, and they passed uh, they passed the river and they decided, oh, we're gonna we're gonna go in for a dip. So they pulled over and fully clothed, Jeff jumped in. And was you know was swimming around, floating around, singing "Whole Lot of Love" by Led Zeppelin, and eventually he got caught in the wake from a passing boat. And I guess because he was fully clothed, it was very difficult for him to swim against that. And that's all speculation because you know that 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 wasn't seen, but we know he was fully clothed. We know it was at the point that uh, a tugboat passed that he disappeared. And yeah, his his body was then found a, a few days later. So it was the it was the morning that the band were going to come down and start start rehearsing for that My Sweetheart the Drunk record. So it's really a very sad state of affairs. So then Sketches for My Sweetheart the Drunk came out in 1998, just a year after his death. It was really very soon after, shockingly soon after his death. And that's why it's a difficult question, right? Because I think a lot of people will say Sketches for My Sweetheart the Drunk. But the Sketches for was added to reflect that it was a partial completion of my sweetheart the drunk this was not the this was not the intended second studio album and although i say that 1998 was too soon after his death or just surprisingly soon after his death to release a a, a compilation album the album was actually released at the insistence of of jeff's mother mary she was his sole heir and she she insisted it be released uh, at that point it was released as a compilation album so you will 
sometimes find it listed under studio albums from the artists. You'll see studio albums, Grace, and then Sketches from My Sweet Art the Drunk. But anywhere that's got it right is listing it as a, as a compilation. So it's got a collection of tracks that were recorded in New York with Tom Verlaine. Tom Verlaine from the 70s pre-punk New York rock band Television. It was Jeff's choice, I believe, to start working with Verlaine. They recorded a bunch of tracks in New York, but he wasn't super happy with, with how they turned out. They worked together for a little while in New York, but it wasn't working. Um, and the, the sound that they were producing was not quite what he was envisioning. He also recorded a bunch of tracks with Andy Wallace, who had produced Grace. So Sketches My Sweetheart the Drunk is a compilation of some solo recorded tracks, some stuff that was produced by Tom Verlaine, some that was produced by Andy Wallace. And for that reason, it's a it's just a compilation of, of tracks that may or may not have been included in the second studio album. I think also that there's there's probably little thought gone into the the sequencing of that record. It's more likely comes across as just a collection of songs. But I think that's what the people wanted. Most people who are a massive Jeff Buckley fan just want to consume all of his everything he ever recorded, everything he ever said. And I don't think it really matters too much in what format that is there's so many different versions of grace out there with vastly different track listings i think that the version i had it's only the first four five maybe tracks on it that are the same as the original release yeah i still fell in love and continue to fall in love with that record so yeah and question five if you're still with me you're doing very well speeding through these Speeding through these. I would have thought for someone like Jeff Buckley, I thought I'd be talking a lot longer. But uh, I've got no got no mat to bounce off. And mm, I run the risk of just repeating myself. I think because he's an artist that I that I really like, I don't know if you're getting that. But I do run the risk of just repeating how great I think he is. And I don't want to do that. I'll try and keep it factual. Question five. In the lyrics to So Real, why did Jeff never step on the cracks? Uh, it's because he thought he'd hurt his mother. So where I'm from, when you step on the cracks, you break your back. That was what we said as kids. But, I don't know, if he steps on the cracks, it hurts his mother. Each to his own. That's in the lyrics to, to So Real. So Real is off grace. It's got a very commercial sound to it. It's a, It was a great choice for a single off that record. And it came with a cool music video too. The music video is, oh, I'll probably... Yeah, I'll probably forget some bits of it, but it starts with Jeff Buckley cycling around whatever city he's in. Gosh, I don't even know what city he's in, but he's cycling around. He's wearing a he's wearing a grey suit. In fact, I nearly put that as the question. I was thinking of writing as the question: What colour suit is is Jeff wearing in the video? It's so real. He's wearing a grey suit, riding around on a bicycle, like an an Alma feats, like a Dutch bike. And yeah, singing whilst he's cycling around. Towards the end of the the video, it cuts it cuts across to a live performance. It's a bit weird from memory, but I can't remember what's weird about it. I think they're in costume, but double check that. But then at the end, he he starts to take off his clothes. Like <laughs> he's he ditches the bike, and I think the bike is being seen to by some monkeys. I believe this is sounding really absurd. So I hope I've got this right, and I'm not just making this up. I think, I haven't seen this video in a while, I think after he ditches the bike, there's some monkeys kind of bouncing around on it, and Jeff's walking through the streets of this this unnamed city, taking his clothes off, and he gets down to 
he's just wearing the, the suit trousers and he kicks his shoes off into the air and then yeah that's the end of the video it's a good video it's a good video so the, the the chords for that song were written by guitarist michael ty uh they were written many years oh sorry i should probably say this is the, the third time in this episode i will apologize for my pronunciation ty is spelled t-i-g-h-e that's got to be ty hasn't it it's not tig michael ty so michael ty apparently wrote those chords uh, before he met Jeff, many years before. He says he was 14 or 15 when he wrote that. And then he played it to Jeff one day, and Jeff really liked it. And he jumped on the drums and, and added some drums to it. Then that night, he furiously pulled together some lyrics, and, and So Real was written. Ty said, quote, We did So Real in an afternoon. That night, Jeff was feverishly writing in his notepad. Then he took a walk around Hell's Kitchen, came back, and recorded the vocals for it. So I think he wrote most of the lyrics that night. It was pretty beautiful the way it all came together so quickly. So there you go. Michael Ty's basically just repeated what I said. Or is it the other way around? So the great thing about this song is there aren't many lyrics in it. There's really not. If you look at the lyrics written down, there's not a lot there. But in so little being said, there's so much can be taken from it. It's really amazing how he does that. And it's not just in this song. There's other songs where... You look at the lyrics written down and they're really few and far between, but you feel that he's said so much and, you, and you've got so much from it. I guess it's a lot to do with his delivery, but So Real, like I said at the beginning, I think it's much more of a commercial sound than a lot of the other tracks on that record, uh, on Grace. There's certainly songs like Love You Should Have Come Over or you know Grace even, Mojo Pin. They're songs that it's quite surprising the 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 appeal that they have you know I, I think i think it's quite surprising the appeal that they have across the board because they are not traditional structures in their musicianship or or in the lyrics uh, in their composition whereas so real is is much more traditional uh, very radio friendly but it's a great song uh, and it's a bit of an earworm and i think that a lot of people that don't know jeff buckley are probably going to know alleluia uh, but then they they might remember so real if they hear it it's quite surprising also that I've got to question five and I didn't talk yet about Hallelujah. Yeah, it's quite amazing that I've managed to get that far. So Hallelujah is, uh, you know, it's, it's the one that a lot of people out there who don't know Jeff Buckley's name have almost certainly heard his version of Hallelujah. Hallelujah is a song written by Leonard Cohen. Leonard Cohen, one of those great musicians who should never have sung anything <clears throat> from my perspective. Kind of like Bob Dylan. Uh, Bob Dylan, like... <laughs> Oh God, I'm making a lot of enemies in this episode, aren't I? So Bob Dylan is an amazing songwriter. He's written some amazing tunes, but I don't want to hear him sing them ever, really. <laughs> and uh, and Leonard Cohen's the same. I mean, Leonard Cohen was a poet, wasn't he, for most of his career? And yeah, he was a poet that that sung sung his poems, let's say. But I, I don't really like Leonard Cohen's voice singing singing much. Jeff did this, did, did Alleluia, and it, it became a regular for him at live sets, and it eventually evolved into what it was when, when he recorded it for, for Grace. But it's it's also an example of, again, like that Nusrat cover, an expression of his understanding of the world of music and Corpus Christi Carol, that he can take a song like that and include it on a, on a debut record and do it so, so amazingly. It's really testament to his uh, to his talent and his skill as a musician and, and an interpreter. The way that he interprets these songs and, and 
undeniably turns them into a Jeff Buckley song. You know, you can take songs like Kangaroo that is, is quite screamy or Eternal Life, Dream Brother, and then songs like Corpus Christi Carol and Alleluia and even tunes like Everybody Here Wants You. And they're undeniably Jeff Buckley when you hear them. Yet they are so vastly different in their style and the way that he's using his voice, the way that he's playing the guitar. He's he's so versatile as a musician, yet he's still got a very unique quality to him. Yeah. So just to finish off that, that conversation about Alleluia that I went off on a tangent from, that's the song that, that people that don't know Jeff probably probably know because it's it's really it's still played today. You'll hear it on Absolute Radio or, or something. I still occasionally hear Jeff Buckley's Alleluia played on radio. And it's also played in TV and movies as well. It's it's something that does appear in media. It's a it's a fantastic version of Alleluia, the Jeff Buckley version. It's the most famous version. It's a, it's a it's a it's a beautiful rendition. That brings us to to the end of my five questions. Now I knew the answers, obviously. So there's not a lot, there was not a lot of suspense, was there, in me asking that. What we really want to know is how well does Joe from Stoke-on-Trent know Jeff Buckley? So Joe messaged us on Reddit. You've got to keep an eye out for Superfancast. We occasionally, in in this case, Jeff Buckley was was a musician we wanted to do, not a musician someone wrote into us about. I wanted to, to talk about Jeff Buckley. So I, we tend to put a message up on, you know, the three main places we'll put a message up is, is Twitter, Facebook, and on Reddit. The Reddit, you've got to search for it because we don't use a Superfancast account. It's myself or Matt, just post up. So we put a post up on Reddit looking for Jeff Buckley fans and Joe from Stoke-on-Trent got in touch and said, uh, he said, I go as far as to say I'm the biggest fan of Jeff in the world. <sighs> Listens to every single thing he's made. Watched every interview and live clip I can find. He's absolutely the thing I'm the biggest fan of. Whenever I perform live, he's a live performer, Joe. Whenever I perform live, I always cover his songs. Such a beautiful talent, lost way too soon. So I got in touch with Joe from Stoke-on-Trent, and we touched base a couple of days ago. So let's have a quick listen to how Joe does. Joe, welcome to Superfancast. It's nice to be here. Good. It's uh, happy to have you here because it means that we get to talk about Jeff Buckley and I'm, I'm really enjoying looking into Jeff Buckley for this particular episode. But I want to know, when did you first hear Jeff Buckley? Yeah, it, it's it's always such a kind of slightly silly story to tell because uh, I've got this like infatuation with him. But it came from uh, me and my sister talking about the Shrek soundtrack. Okay. <laughs> and uh, we were talking about all the songs from that and I remember... I was like, I remember Hallelujah being really sad. And then that night I listened to Jeff's version and I was like nearly crying. Mm. And I was like, oh, wow. So, you know, I thought that sounds very beautiful. And I was like, I wonder if I know any other songs he's done. And I listened to like Ojo Pin and Grace and all that. And I was like, oh, this guy's incredible. I see him live. And then that's when I Googled him and found out he was no longer with us. Mm. And it kind of all just happened in like a night. And from then on, I was I was Jeff obsessed. It's weird nowadays, you know, with the internet and with Spotify or whatever you listen to music on, you can do that. You can discover an artist and then within one evening you've you found everything they've ever done. Mm. Was Jeff Buckley's Hallelujah on the Shrek soundtrack? I think it's Rufus Wainwright's, but I just typed okay. in Hallelujah and, and Jeff's came up. So wh- wh- whenabouts was that, do you think? How, how many years ago? I think it was probably two years ago. It was probably the start of like 2019, I think, maybe. Okay. And so in that time, since since you first discovered him, how has your fandom escalated? Is there anything, any 
any moments in the last couple of years where you things have got a bit silly yeah i think there's a moment where uh, i have a friend who's like a, a a singer and we were just talking about singing we started talking about jeff and i was i was basically just recounting like his life like i was mentioning like where he grew up and like nicknames as a kid and all that and i suddenly thought like damn i'm i'm a super fan of <laughs> of this man like I, I it didn't occur to me how much i knew and that's when i was kind of like right i think i'm a bit too obsessed with this <laughs> He's, he's so easy to envelop yourself in as like an artist because he's, he's got a little bit of mystery to him. Yeah. And he's very encapsulating. So I just, I found myself just reading about him all the time and like watching all his interview clips and mainly just listening to all his music. Well, that's it. I think, I think also because of, you know, how short his, his career was that, uh, you know, we, we speak to all sorts of different super fans um, on Superfancast and, and some of them are fans of, of artists that have, uh, yeah, mountains of memorabilia out there, and and you can get their name written on pretty much anything. But I don't think Jeff Buckley is one of those artists. Is he? I get the impression that most people that are crazy about Jeff, it's really just the music. Yeah, he's because he had such like a short time around, and the time he did have, he, he wasn't a big a huge fan of like being swarmed or big press and all that. Mm. So it's it's hard to find like kind of Jeff Buckley like memorabilia and all that. Mm. It's much more just his sound will like define his fans. Yeah. All right. Well, I've got five questions for you. Okay. To find out if you are if you're truly a super fan or just a fan or a fraud. Mm. But, uh, good luck. Right. So, question one: By what name was Jeff known as a child? Scott Moorhead. That is correct. I thought I was a I was a fairly decent Jeff Buckley fan, but I only discovered that uh, this last week. Yeah, he's he's also got a half brother that like you just never hear about. Uh, another one of Ron Moorhead's kids, and you just never hear about right. what became of him. I know not much about Ron. I I I know that uh, he introduced Jeff to like his main musical influences, right? Like things like the Who and all that. But uh, I don't know much about him as a as a gentleman. And I guess that, I mean the obvious uh, family connection is Tim. Have you ventured yeah. into Tim Buckley's catalogue? Yeah, I, I love I love Tim not as much as Jeff, but I I do I love Tim Buckley. Yeah, it, it's it's actually quite jarring, especially when you see that like Jeff never spent any time with Tim, and yeah. yet they they even speak similarly and they have similar outlooks on and stuff on the world. I never asked to be your mountain that song by Tim Buckley. That's that's very Jeff esque. There's lots of like kind of wails and he puts yeah. a bit of gravel in there sometimes, and he's it's really reminiscent of Jeff, or Jeff is reminiscent of him. Yeah, and Jeff's uh, the way he speaks about his father is very odd to gauge. It's very hard to gauge how he really feels or really felt. Yeah, there's a there's a really nice interview with him where he where he says, uh, "I I don't hate him. Uh, I just uh, I have a respect for him as a fellow artist, not as a father." I'm like paraphrasing, mm. but I think I think it's hard for him to admit that because that is his father. It's not just an artist. Yeah. So I think it's going to be hard for him to. But I think he was more influenced by. Tim. Mm. A strong start, 100% so far. Let's go. <laughs> Let's keep that going. So question two. Who originally sung Ye Jo Halka Saro Hai? Oh God. Is it Nusrat Fateh Ali Khan? It is Nusrat Fateh Ali Khan. Yes! <laughs> I'm, <a genius>. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure I murdered the pronunciation of that. There's a there's a great thing. Have you listened to um, Live at Shanae, Jeff's live album? Yes, yeah. The, so that that's the, the song. Where, that's the song on there. Yeah, 
there's a bit where someone yells out, like, they say, Nusrat, Sadiq Khan. And Jeff goes like, oh, are you a fan? And the guy goes, yeah. And he goes, that's why you said his name wrong. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Nusrat's my Elvis. I love that show. Have you listened to his music? Uh, I tried I tried some of it, and I was kind of like, Jeff, I love you, but this is not for me. <laughs> not for me. Yeah. That Live at, uh, live at Sinead, it's the Legacy Edition, I think, that includes the, um, the Nusrat um, cover. Mm. What do you love or not love about that record? Because it is quite a weird one with all the, you know, all the uh, chatter in between. Uh, the chatter is, is like some of my favorite parts of that record. Yeah, it's a, it's a good. You don't get many glimpses into his real personality. Yeah. But Jeff was like an extremely funny, like quite intelligent guy, and you don't really. It, he seems very serious, I think, in his music. Whereas he's actually like he's quite, he's quite like a goofball, and he loves joking around and yeah. all that. You never really get that sense from him otherwise. You, you get a little a little insight into into the real Jeff Buckley. Mm. That that record's full of well, I mean his his whole catalog is full of covers of different stuff. Is there anything mm. else on that on that live at Chennai that stands out to you? Yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a huge fan of his uh, Jeanne Kone Palafin cover. Oh, interesting. Uh, and that's on the Legacy Edition, I think, and uh, that's really beautiful. But just hearing, it, I think, just him and the guitar is such a great way to really hear his voice. Yeah. Like yeah, with a, with a song like Grace, where there's so much going on, he's still able to kind of rise above it all with just him and a guitar. And he's yeah, yeah he's he's so good at creating this really intimate atmosphere, whether it's with like a crowd of a thousand people or just you and him. He's really able to make it feel like it's an intimate moment. Yeah. Have you seen? You can find a a list of his entire like record collection, and it's 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 mental just how much different stuff Jeff listened to. Oh, interesting. No, I'd like to see that it's mental how much uh listen and how many different genres he just yeah. and languages he crossed over like mm. again like with, with nusrat fateh ali khan like i would never have even known about that kind of music and jeff back then without the internet was like a super fan of it oh it's it's fascinating isn't it and that, mm. that's the first thing i thought when i heard him when i heard him talking about nusrat in on that on that live at Chennai record and when he started playing the song and speaking in uh, I don't know what what uh, language it's it's in, but yeah, I have to keep reminding myself. This is before the internet. It's probably no lyric book or anything, so he's yeah. just listening to it and figuring it out. Yeah. Uh, question three: What's the name of Gary Lucas's psychedelic rock band that Jeff played in for a short period? Gods and Monsters. Yeah. Now I haven't heard anything by uh, uh, from Gods and Monsters with Jeff Buckley. Have you heard this? Uh, yeah, I'm not a fan of it, but I have. Okay. I, I think it's Gary Lucas wrote some music for Jeff. Like he wrote the guitar for Grace and Mojo Pin, mm-hmm. and I I think I respect him for those contributions. But uh, the way he plays them is so rough and so harsh. And then when you hear Jeff do it, it's so soft and kind of otherworldly. Can you can find them kind of doing them because Jeff okay. left Gods and Monsters, but was still friends with uh, Gary Lucas, and they did loads and loads of gigs together while Jeff was going solo and you can hear them do it and I think Jeff is kind of battling Gary in those live videos because Gary's doing it so harsh and Jeff kind of you can tell he has an idea for what he wants and it's not in line Mm. do Jeff's lyrics speak to you or are the words kind of simply a a conduit for the voice and the melodies Uh, I think Jeff's uh, Jeff's lyrics are they're incredible but I think sometimes there's no deeper meaning because a lot of them he writes them from dreams oh, like right. the song the song you and i he wrote just from a dream and there's there's no 
he's not addressing an issue or trying to make a point. He's just kind of <laughs> spitballing. It is, And it's yeah. so poetic, the way it's all written. I think especially the lyrics to songs. I just realized I might go on a bit of a long one here, but he has many lyrics where he's referring to like his own death. And those are so interesting to listen to. Mm. Like in, in So Real, there's a bit where he sings about drowning. And I think he sings about it in Grace as well for a moment. Interesting. And, uh, and his dad, Tim, in his song, Song to the Siren, he's singing to a young Jeff saying, swim to me. Yeah, their, their music kind of webs and flows together in this really odd symbiotic way. But it's really kind of, it's really, I keep using this word with Jeff, but it's really otherworldly. And it's quite, I don't know, it's just very impactful. Jeff has spoken about, there was a quote in, I think like New York Times or something about him. And they said, uh, the haunted voice of Tim Buckley. Ooh. And that that really annoyed Jeff. I was going to say that with Riley, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, and he said as well. He was like, "It's not my voice, and it's not his. It's just the family voice." Like his his grandfather sang as well. All oh, right. And so he was kind of annoyed that this thing that he has, and he always spoke about your singing voice being your essence. And I think that that would that really kind of irritated him. Well, you're killing it. Three out of three. <laughs> Nice, nice. I can I can continue saying I'm a fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Three out of three is very respectable. So, or three out of five is even. Yeah, three out of five is yeah, very three respectable. Is, uh, 100%. So. <laughs> Question four: What was the working title for Jeff's second studio album? It was Sketches for My Sweetheart the Drunk. Oh. Or was it just My Sweetheart the Drunk? Oh, I'll let you have the point. I'll let you have the point. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I couldn't remember if it was My Sweetheart the Drunk and then they changed it to Sketches when after he died. Yeah. I think that's what they did, yeah. Yeah, it, it was his his plan was to call it My Sweetheart the Drunk. Yeah. Sketches My Sweetheart the Drunk is marketed as a compilation. Mm. Um, so it includes, you know, obviously a lot of the tracks that he planned on going on his second studio album, but also just other tracks. Yeah, like uh, I think You and I wasn't, it was just kind of random. I think it's I think it's originally recorded before he even made Grace. It's obviously great that there's so much music, there's so much material out there from Jeff Buckley that that we can now hear. Mm. Um, but but how do you feel about posthumous releases? Yeah, well, yeah, well, with like Grace, Jeff went back and re-recorded loads of songs, and he was quite like a perfectionist with it. So when I listen to um, sketches for my sweetheart, I kind of I like it, but it's only it's it feels half empty. It's kind of knowing that I'm not listening to the full thing, and like the parts I don't like, I'm like well would this be better with time mm. but i think they kind of were going to release it eventually anyway because people would want to hear what he was working on and great such like a great reception everyone yeah. was like you know it's it's beautiful album next one's going to be incredible and even jeff said you know he can make a better album than grace so i think it's nice to hear it but it's sad because i know that it's not what it was probably going to be sure and where do you think jeff's music and career would have gone if he was still alive I think he was probably going to be like the next big thing. Like Hallelujah only became a hit uh, in the 2000s, I'm pretty sure. Like it took a while for him to find proper full mainstream success. Yeah. But I think once he did, I think he would have been huge because he's such a versatile, insane vocalist. Yeah. But sadly, you know, it makes me sad. Even now, like three years after kind of getting into him, I still get so sad just thinking about how much potential was wasted even on grace he did more than you know most musicians get to do in their entire careers and that was just his first album yeah yeah it's always hard to know though when someone you know uh, passes away right in their prime has the fact added to that that mystery and and that legend Uh, and perhaps if he hadn't 
passed away in his prime, it, it might have panned out differently. You know, I don't necessarily believe that, but you always have to think that in these situations. Mm. That's it. There we go. Four points. It was a close four. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I nearly, I nearly missed that last time. Nearly fell into the trap. That was the, <laughs> that was the point of it. So, question five. In the lyrics to "So Real," why did Jeff never step on the cracks? Because he thought he'd hurt his mother. Oh, very quick. I thought you were going to have to sing it to get to that. Nah, got it ready <laughs> to go. <laughs> now, from your experience, what happens when you step on the cracks? You break your mother's back. I'm oh, afraid. you break your mother's back. Oh, see, I, yeah. I grew up. Uh, when you step on the cracks, you break your own back. Oh no! I mean, yeah, it was always break your mother's, but maybe kids in Wales are more brutal. Ah, <laughs> oh, right. Well, no, I guess kids in LA are as equally as brutal, <laughs> because uh, he thought he'd hurt his mother as well. So yeah, so real is a, a beautiful song, but it's much more commercial in its composition than the others on Grace, I think. Yeah, a lot of people I know who, when they first get into him, so real is their first kind of love with him. Whereas mine was mine was Mojo Pin. That was my first one that I was like obsessed with listening to. All oh, right, because so real is a much easier listen for a for a newcomer than Mojo Pin. What are your favourite Jeff Buckley sounds? Mojo Pin um, comes to mind. Uh, I know it's over. The live at Sony version comes to mind. Um, I'm a huge fan of. Uh, I love Lilac Wine. Grace as well is one of them. So yeah, those have been like my top five, I'd say. And are there any? Is there anything he does that you don't like? I from. It's hard to talk about this one because obviously it was unfinished. But a, a lot of um, sketches, I, I was not. I don't. I don't hate any of them or dislike any of them. They just. I wouldn't actively listen to any of them. Really. Is it Kangaroo? Where? Oh It's yes, very yeah. screamy. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of that one or Eternal Life, really. But there's there's a lot to love. There's a lot to love, particularly on you know on Grace and and I feel that it, there's lots of different sounds there, but it does show that mm. he's really thought it through and he's not released anything that he's not a thousand percent happy with. Yeah, and, and his, his approach to like the musical aspect of songwriting is so interesting because he spent, I think, I think it's nearly like 10 years or so as a session musician. And he did, he did, all, he did like folk and jazz and everything. So you can kind of see that in his instrumentation. Did he session for anyone um, notable? Not that I know of, but I may have just never heard of it. I mean, he might have. I just, I never, maybe I'm a fraud. <laughs> no, well, no, you're absolutely not. I'm going to give you five out of five. Nice. Bonafide superfan. Oh. That's brilliant. Haven't had a haven't had a five out of five superfan for a while. Nice. That's really good. I had no doubts at any point. You have you have really solid knowledge of, of Jeff Buckley. Mm. If someone's now listened to this and they they they've not listened to much Jeff Buckley in the past and they're interested in getting into him, what three songs should they listen to? I think for his more powerful kind of rockier songs, listen to Grace. And then for when he when he's a bit more calm and sad listen to I Know It's Over the live at Sony version and then listen to Mama You've Been On My Mind the Bob Dylan cover he did that'll give you like a good palette of what he can do and there's way more to find out after that cool well well done Joe thanks for your time have a good one thank you so much see wow 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 five out of five that's a super fan that is a super fan, if ever I heard one. What a great fan to end this 10, 10 episode run on. And I was a little bit worried because Joe's, um, you know, he wasn't around when Jeff was around. He admitted he's only really been into Jeff Buckley the last two or three years. I was a little worried that perhaps I was gonna, I was gonna get him on uh, on a couple of those questions. 
but no, he's um, he's definitely done his research. He's he's engrossed himself in in Jeff. It it must be difficult as well, right? Because we've we've done some artists who have not released music in a long time, but they probably they have bigger back catalogs. Jeff Buckley's got one album during his lifetime, and yes, there's been there's been posthumous releases, but we must have hit the limit now. There can't be that much more music out there because he was only on this on this earth for 30 years i mean how much music can there really be so if someone saw him live in 95 96 or 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 before would they be able to maintain that super fandom over that time that's a definitely a question i've uh, i've been thinking are there i wonder if there are really any super fans who had actually seen him live and are still now in in 2021 as big a fan as they ever were and 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 at that same kind of super fan level that we saw in in people like when we had super fans for faith no more or bjork or eurythmics people who really surrounded themselves with with everything that th- those artists had produced um, and and not just not just their music just just everything so yeah other comments on reddit we had nearly docked commented a couple of weeks ago said, I have looked for bootlegs, recordings of live concerts to the point where I had to tell myself to stop because there are many cool musicians out there to be discovered. Having said that, if you're a Jeff fan, there will always be part of him that you can relate to which will lure you in and keep you linger, keep you lingering. This guy haunts whether you believe in ghosts or not. Well, there you go. I think the word, the word haunts is, is interesting because a, a lot of reviewers say his voice is haunting his music is haunting and i'm not entirely sure what people mean by that but i get it like i'm not sure where other people are coming from with it it's um yeah it's 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 used a lot um yeah keep a lookout for for superfancast on 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 reddit and follow us on facebook and twitter to find out what we're doing next or to recommend an artist i've had in the last week i've had two emails about the same artist so I'm not going to do another full-length episode between now and the start of season two in the new year when Matt's back from the ocean, but I am going to do some interludes. Uh, so I'm going to mix it up a little bit uh, and do some interludes that are not the same format as we're doing here with the uh, with the super fan quiz. But since I've been contacted about the same artist by by two people, I'm going to have to to look into this this individual, and uh, we'll I'll have an interlude out. Uh, you know, we'll keep keep the episodes coming out at the same the same cadence. Uh, every two weeks, we'll have a, a a new interlude out, and that's going to keep going until we start season two in the new year with Matt. So definitely keep an eye out and and do get in touch with your recommendations. We also got an email this last week from Joel, who you might remember was our super fan from super fan from the Dinosaur Junior episode, and he said, "I've literally lost sleep over my answer to your first question." I knew the answer back in my prime. I could spurt off every track from every album in order, and I think my nerves got to me. If you can, if you can reel off every track from every album in order for Dinosaur Junior, then you deserve more than just a label superfan, because that's that's bloody impressive. They've got a lot of music out there. Yeah, the o- the only thing more impressive than that would be to do that for Mogwai. Crikey, if you could do that for Mogwai, their track names have no relation to the tracks at all. Yeah, I couldn't do that for one album by Mogwai. So yeah, sorry Joel that I stole that uh, stole that label from you. Uh, you got the you got another one wrong as well. What was the other one? Oh, the the music video. Yes, the music video with the bulldog. Well, keep listening. 
keep listening, Joel, and um, maybe maybe the Jeff Buckley episode is the one for you, and maybe maybe we'll do one in the future that uh, that you can get you can get five out of five on. If you have a recommendation for us, or you want to give us some feedback, or you just want to say hi, please do do so on Twitter at Superfancast One. Find us on Facebook at Superfancast. Follow us on both of those channels, and you can email on superfancast at outlook.com. If you want to throw a couple of coins our way, visit patreon.com slash superfancast and chuck us a donation. I thank you for joining me for another deep dive. I really enjoyed this one and I hope you enjoy it too. If you're not a big Jeff Buckley fan, then you should be. Take a listen to his music and let me know what you think. I really look forward to, to seeing you all again in a couple of weeks for something else and an interlude of sorts you'll have to wait and see what that's going to be so stay safe everybody keep rocking and we'll see you next time bye bye